Welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Connecting you with trendsetters who are leading innovation in public safety and expert advice on growing your own post-law enforcement business. And now, your host, Adam Wills. Welcome to episode 40 of the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. On today's episode, we'll be having fellow copreneur and member of the exclusive LEO to CEO community, Rudy Hernandez, on the show. Rudy is the owner of Trinity Executive Solutions, where he and his team offer bespoke security solutions for companies. During our chat, Rudy will share how his background as a used car salesman has helped him develop his sales prowess as a business owner and how the LEO to CEO community has helped him grow as a copreneur. Here we go. Rudy, welcome to the Public Safety Innovators Podcast. Thanks for having me, Adam. Excited to be here and nervous. <laughs> yeah, it's good to have you on. Uh, it's always fun to have community members from the Eliota CEO community on the show. We've been doing that a bit lately. I think you're uh, you're maybe the uh, fourth or fifth one here in a row from that's a member of the community on the show. And so obviously want to talk about what you're doing and, and highlight what you got going on. You've got some interesting things for us to discuss today. Yeah, trying to, always trying to keep busy. But yeah, definitely. Uh, I'm glad to be part of the uh, community and I'm glad that to be on here. Yeah. So you transitioned out of law enforcement yourself and you started your own business, Trinity Executive Solutions. So I guess let's start there. What does Trinity Executive Solutions do and uh, what uh, sort of problem are you solving? Uh, essentially, uh, we started off as a uh, provider for uh, training. Uh, I think we're doing a lot of CPR training, security training in the private security industry. And then we moved into uh, guard services, uh, which uh, Initially, it was just uniformed regular guards, but then we started moving into uh, more, I guess, uh, I don't want to say high risk, but just uh, off-duty officer type gigs. Uh, we had a lot of uh, active retired reserve police officers from different departments working with us. And, you know, some of the clients that we we have or, or you know, worked with, a lot of them were requesting a specific type of uh I guess, protection. So if you will, uh, not necessarily executive protection type stuff, but just, you know, more higher end uh, security. And obviously, you know, with the law enforcement backgrounds, I think uh, the private sector, that's what they're looking for. And so it's, it's been, you know, good to us over the years, thankfully, obviously from my background, I, I you know, I had a somewhat, a lot of connections and then just the people that I've met over the years, it's just been really good. But uh, essentially what we do is I'm kind of like a one-stop shop for the clients. And I think the ones that I build rapport with and the ones that I build those professional relationships with, it's something that literally I've been in, you know, in contact with them continuously. And essentially what we solve is any, any issues that they may have that are security or safety related. Um, so I sometimes act as a consultant. I act as a, you know, giving recommendations or do threat assessments, coordinate, you know, special projects, whether it be investigations um, or just, like I said, high risk stuff. So sometimes I act a, as a broker, if you will, you know, a client will come to me, like let's say specific clients that I work with and they have an issue, whatever that issue is, whether it's something internal, uh, whether it's, you know, threats, 
as far as from maybe an executive that they just recently terminated. So especially nowadays with the whole workplace violence and the whole uh, mass casualty incidents and stuff like that, active shooters, um, there's a lot of, you know, people are kind of, for lack of a better term, you know, afraid and, and with good reason. So a lot of the times we come in and just kind of assess and then uh, we do the whole just either trying to create things for their businesses or for their homes. Everything's a numbers game for me, a probability to minimize the risk. And then obviously we also do the uh, the whole uh, uh, physical part where if they actually need physical protection or they need physical, you know, security people and things like that. If I don't feel that I'm an expert in that arena, like let's say executive protection, I'm, I'm, I've worked in it, I've dabbled in it, but I'm, I wouldn't consider myself an expert in it. I'll reach out to someone. And that's the reason why I brought up the whole broker thing. You know, someone that comes to mind that I thought about in my head, I haven't talked to him about it yet, but Scott Walker, you know, he's a PI. That's something that, you know, that that's something that's usually things that I'm like, oh, I put that in the back of my head. So if I ever have a client that, hey, you know what, they need something specific, you know, there's another person now that I could reach out to and be like, hey, because I'm not a PI. But like I said, that's that's where I come in for the clients as a broker to kind of any issues that they need, I go ahead and take care of it. I've gone as far as uh, coordinating janitorial services, you know, for the client. And I think that's something that some people don't think about. It's kind of, <laughs> outside, yeah, it's kind of outside the box. But it's it's being that go to person for the right. client. I don't want to I don't want to be the the guy where the client comes and say, hey, can you take care of this? Be like, hey, that's not my job, or uh, you know what, uh, I, I, that's not my job description. I want to be the go to person where you say, hey, Rudy, we have this issue, and I start to create like you know solutions for it. Uh, you know, hence the name, the Trinity Executive Solutions. Our slogan is, uh, we don't provide a service, we provide solutions. And I think to kind of answer your question, I'm not sure if I got around it. Is that's basically what we do is that you know a lot of the guard services out there they literally just provide a guard or they just provide a service not all of them but like i said some of the major ones and i've been in the industry in a sense boots on the ground so i've kind of seen firsthand what happens out there there's no ownership in some of these uh, companies uh, and what i mean by that is that they're they're kind of so big or they're so disconnected to from the actual client to where the guards or you know even their odos or whatever where i think the service you know that that whole i guess four-star Michelin service or five-star Michelin service, whatever you want to call it. But it's uh, it's somewhat of a, I don't want to say concierge, um, but it's it's just something where, like I said, I want to be that one-stop shop go-to person. That's that's what I've been in. Yeah. So really your purpose, your attention is to be a bespoke solution, creating a, a custom o- option for your, your clients rather than necessarily just creating out-of-the-box services and here's what you see and what, what you get but really right. catering your response to whatever their needs are, whether that's something you are able to provide in-house with your company or whether you need to reach out uh, within your network and your sphere of influence to identify somebody that can help fill that need. Yes, definitely. Thank you for summing that up very well. <laughs> yeah. So you first started off, you had law enforcement career what was what was your law enforcement career like? Uh, what was your experience with that? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of the times when I, you know, some of the guys that I've worked with, I my my experience pales in comparison to them, and that's why you know I'm I'm very humble to where I, I'm I'm knowledgeable. I started off very young, and I actually started off as a police explorer. You know, uh, for a small city department of about a hundred, a hundred so sworn officers. And, uh, I had a lot of aunts and uncles, so to speak, growing up. So I got really mentored and trained. And back then it was a bit different what it is now as far as uh, what we were exposed to and what we were trained on. So that's, that's how I first started off. Uh, I got hired on right off the bat when I was 18 as a park ranger. 
for the city of Southgate. And I was with them for a total of about six years. Unfortunately, got injured, non-work related injury, no crazy shootouts or car accidents or anything like that. Got, you know, injured, uh, playing football at school at the time. And then, uh, I believe at that time, was it? I think I was about to be 22. I was, it was in my early twenties and it was just kind of devastating for me. I was going through different stuff, uh, personally, you know, personal matters as far as divorce and then just, you know, child custody and just different things. And it was just kind of, you know, that was something that it was almost like an ugly part of life in a sense. And, and I had to learn really young as far as how to handle stuff. But as far as my experience, as far as the city of Southgate with the park rangers, uh, it wasn't necessarily, a Smokey the Bear mountains out in the forestry. It was city parks. <laughs> you know, I usually clarify because people always think this, oh, Smokey the Bear had, you know, you're up in the, you know, the mountains, this and I say, like, ah, no, not necessarily. Right. We, we, we work city parks. And the reason I bring that up is because a lot of the things that we dealt with was, uh, you know, gangs, narcotics, uh, transients, just because, you know, a lot of the gang members, they, they'd hang out at the park, you know, uh, or they would, uh, you know, do their transactions. Yeah, at the park. Yeah. So I got a lot of good experience there, you know, a lot of skills somewhat scary stuff where it was like, oh, that was, a, that was a close one type thing, you know, nothing too, too crazy, but definitely was an active city. You know, uh, if you talk to people from around the area that are aware of it, it's a small city, but it's just, uh, what is it? Just uh, west of South, South Central LA. Uh, you know, I used to kind of joke around and say, yeah, we get the leftover gang members from South Central LA to come over to our site. But, you know, there, there were, there were some pretty few active gangs there. So I, I yeah, I got a chance to work <laughs> the with rejects the rejects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I used to make fun of it in that sense, but yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty active city and, and, uh, it gave me a lot of good experience. And, and I was one of those guys where, uh, I was just a super nerd with it. You know, um, if I wasn't working, I was volunteering hours or I was, uh, training on something. So I worked different types of bureaus. And, uh, I think I was really thankful to the guys that actually, you know, the guys and girls, the officers and that helped me out as far as uh, just training me unofficially, you know, we did tactical training, stuff like that. We would always play, you know, the bad guys, uh, but then the sergeants would take us out and then just kind of teach us everything. And so it was, like I said, I was, I was very hands-on. I, I literally lived and breathed that department practically every single day for, you know, six, about six years. <laughs> and so when I got injured, it was, you know, it was hard. And, um, it was something where there was a lot of stuff going on with the city. I won't get into that. I mean, people could probably Google it the early two thousands or mid two thousands, as far as, uh, you know, some of the stuff that was going on with the city itself and just the department was involved with that. Uh, and it was just, it was kind of ugly time. So I think a lot of times I say, you know what, I saw the good, the bad and the ugly in law enforcement, you know, the politics, uh, just, you know, some of that stuff. And like yeah. I said, that, that was kind of, you know, it was, it was difficult and especially being young and just thrown into it. But, you know, we, we grew up really quick and so to speak. And I think we were trained that way. And once I got hurt, it was kind of different. You know, it, it was a hard, hard time. I'll say that. And, but, you know, the, the natural thing was to get into security. That's how I kind of was introduced to the private sector. I kind of had dabbled in it as far as uh, when I was working with the city. I kind of, you know, worked off-duty gigs and things like that, uh, but it wasn't a full-time thing. It was just to moonlight, if you will, or make extra money. But then when I got hurt, it was kind of natural where I fell into that. Uh, I first started working out in uh, Malibu yeah. Palisades and, you know, got exposed to the private sector there. And then I just kind of fell into it and just uh, was embraced, you know, just because of my background and just my training and yeah, so that's how I got into the uh, private sector. There's uh, some interesting correlations there between your story and mine, because I can similarly say that my first experience in law enforcement was with an agency in the town that I grew up in, in upstate New York, the town of Greece Police Department. And 
you can similarly go back and Google what was going on there around the same time frame in the early 2000s. And yeah. uh, just it, it was a good time when I departed. It was a good time to depart. And, you know, that wasn't my reason for departing, but there was there was definitely some politics at play that and, and some things that led to uh, the the old chief actually getting uh, into some trouble. So interesting correlation there. But yeah, I, I'm curious, as far as your transition goes out of law enforcement into the private sector, you, you know, similar to a lot of stories I hear from other copreneurs that have landed in private sector starting their own business, a lot of the time is based out of this unexpected change in their life that that affects their career. And as you know, one of the things that I've been talking about a lot lately, because I want to create a paradigm shift in this for law enforcement, uh, I feel like we as cops, we go on the job and we know what the risks are, right? I mean, there's no there's no surprise, you know, I mean, we, we know what we're getting into every day when we put on the uniform and we go out and we put ourselves in situations that can potentially jeopardize our safety. So it's not like we don't know those things yet. Oddly, it doesn't seem like we have the wherewithal to actually prepare for that. We don't plan for what's my contingency, what's my backup plan, so that when it's time for me to make that transition, I've got something, you know, a a file, so to speak, in the file drawer that I can pull out and I can execute on a plan and know that I'm going to be okay and that there there is a plan rather than me just going, well, crap, now I'm hurt, Uh, now I've lost my job, now whatever it may be and I've got to figure it out. Do you think that you could have been more prepared than you were had you had that mindset or do you think, or, or did you already have that mindset and you, you were prepared for this transition? Yeah, it's, um, it's interesting. You mentioned it. I was not prepared at all. The mentality, the mentality there and the mindset that, that we were brought up with because I basically felt like I was raised there. And so the mentality was like, this is what we do and this is what we're going to do in a sense forever. You know, in a sense, uh, for for twenty five, thirty years, we all and, make and, that. Yeah, assumption. and 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 so in that specific department was very peculiar to where you had to take steps. You know, a lot of the people there were, you know, they started off as explorers, they started off as park ranger, and it was almost like a, a tier system that they had set up. And so it was almost like you were. I mean, it wasn't that. Well, almost we were being groomed. You know, in a sense to serve in a sense, the community for 25, 30 years, that was the mentality, at least in my mind. And it wasn't a bad thing. I think some people I've talked to, personal friends that aren't in it or have never been in it, they kind of see it as like, well, that's kind of weird. I said, no, it's just, that's the mindset. And so I guess to answer your question, I was absolutely just completely derailed, you know, when I got hurt. And then just the things that were going on, like I said, the, the, the bad stuff that was going on with the department, there was just a lot of things. So it really it blindsided me 100% and I was not prepared at all. And essentially the reason that I, I think uh, Tim Caldwell, if I'm not mistaken, I think I heard his story and that's what kind of drew me into, you know, get into these communities where from one day to the next, it literally was just from one day to the next, I just couldn't go to work anymore. I couldn't go to work. And then other things happened like yeah. on the political side where it was like, that's it. And it was kind of like, you know, I wasn't cleared to go back to work because of my injury and this and that. And there's just other things going on. So Literally the the plan, so to speak, and the mindset of 25, 30 years of service, it fucking out the window. Sorry. <laughs> out the window. And yeah. uh, 
And it, it was, it was very difficult and it was almost like a survival mode and necessity mode to where it's like, well, I need to do something, but it was very, very hard time just emotionally. And then just with my personal things that were yeah. going on. So it's almost like, it's an identity, you know, to, in a, in a sense. And I think I, I uh, it's to, to be for mm -hmm. that, for that to be taken away from one day to the next, it was hard. And then there was other things that happened that was just, it made it just that much more difficult. So to answer the question. No, I was not prepared at all. Could could they have prepared us? I think in retrospect, and I think that's always, you know, the whole hindsight bias, like, yeah, you know what, there should have been this, there should have been that. But I mean, nobody really thinks about it. I think everybody's gung ho about what they want to do. And like I said, it's uh, it's one of those things where you either got it or you don't. The people that do this for a living, it's it's not because of a paycheck, it's not because of money, it's because literally it's a calling. And and I think that you don't think about anything else. But after everything happened, it was just, it was yeah. a, it was a, it was a survival mode type of thing where, well, I have to do this. Well, what's my skill set? Well, I have a certain amount of years being trained day in and day out on this. And like I said, uh, thankfully it did take me some time to kind of gain traction because it was hard a few years after I, after I separated from the department. But like I said, I, I learned, you know, as I went, but it, it was, it was, a definitely was alone and I had to learn. That was one of the, the two things that, that just in retrospect now at this point, yeah, it was like, you know, a, a big learning process. Uh, but yeah, definitely was not prepared for it. Yeah. And that's such a natural progression too. That's a common story. That's a common story. The only reason I felt at all prepared for my transition was because I happened to have a business already that I was freelancing and doing on the side when I was still in law enforcement. But I certainly wasn't prepared for the timing of it. Right. That's, mm -hmm. that wasn't, that wasn't the choice that I made. Right. But I had something to fall back on. And while you're right, I mean, that, that transition period is so difficult for a myriad of reasons. There's no reason. And I'm telling this now to anybody that ever, not anybody, everybody that's listening. There's no reason to exacerbate that by not being prepared with something because I was prepared with something. And therefore, I feel like it made my transition smoother, which is why I'm so passionate now about trying to adjust this mindset in law enforcement to get people to have some sort of backup plan, even if it's nothing more than literally a piece of paper that says, if I get injured tomorrow and I can no longer do this work, this is the type of business I want to start. This is how I, this is what I'm going to sell. This is who my target audience might be. This is what I might sell it for at my price point. And these are my first steps in order to actually execute on that. So when you're in the middle of that emotional state of, holy cow, this just happened to me and I wasn't anticipating it. And this isn't the timing. And I've had my identity stripped away. And you're dealing with all of those things. Having that plan makes it so much easier so that you don't have to be 100% in survival mode saying, how am I going to pay my bills and how am I going right. to put food on the on the table for my my family? You know, And so I appreciate you you sharing that with me, Rudy. And I, I find it interesting too, because we just talked about this on episode 36 with Drew Aversa, where it, it's almost like this is something that is specific to law enforcement. And you know, we won't spend a ton of time on this right now just because we have, I did talk about it with Drew, but uh, like firefighters, for example, they are primed for entrepreneurship. Like they just know naturally for whatever reason, every single, I've never met a firefighter that didn't have a plan to start a business. The military even does a better job. They have people that will help coach you in what do you do after you're done with the military. 
for whatever reason, traditionally in law enforcement, we're bad at, at, at that. And we just assume we're going to be here for 20, 30 years, and then I'll figure it out. Unfortunately, that's not always the case. And we, we certainly need to, to plan better for that. Yeah, definitely 100%. And, and I think groups like Leo, the CEO, or even just people like, you know, Scott Walker that are starting that conversation. I honestly, if I would have had this, you know, you know, back then, it would have majorly made a big difference. But I think especially now with the current societal temperature, if you will, with everything going on, it's definitely important for people in law enforcement to understand that uh, to maybe have that plan, that exit strategy, I think you've mentioned it, or you've, you've, you've uh, uh, phrased it that way, an exit strategy, which I think it's definitely something that's needed, especially now. But even I think more important, at least in my, my opinion, is letting them know that their skill set and everything they've been trained on is definitely in a sense, uh, uh, something that can transition easily into whether it's, you know, uh, private security or whether it's the private sector, all it is, is just, it's a different perspective that they have to be able to look at it. Because I think sometimes uh, in law enforcement, some of the experiences I had with some of the uh, people that have been in it for a long time, they, they, they see it one way and, and it's hard for them to kind of shift the mindset to be like, oh, well, you know, I could be good at this. I could be good at that. You know, I have some friends now that you know, they're, they're close to, to retirement and they've made comments saying like, ah, oh, you know, they kind of don't know what they're going to do because uh, they, they, they've planned all the way up to, you know, the 30th year of service. And then after that, it's kind of like, what now? But anywho, yeah, it's a really good topic and uh, I won't, I won't spend more time on it. <laughs> so that, yeah. yeah, but I think anywho. we have a, a habit of hoping that we'll have some sort of an epiphany by the end of that 20 to 30 year period that's just going to like fall on our lap and present to us an opportunity of what we should do. And yeah. so until that happens, we just keep kicking the can. Yeah. And yeah. I, it's, it's interesting to me. I thought it was just me, but it seems like it's everybody. So, <laughs> yeah. When running your business, do you ever feel like you're just throwing things at the wall and trying to make them stick? Well, I'd like to share with you the glue that will make your efforts stick and create a greater impact for your business. Recently, I presented a mini workshop on this exact topic inside the LEO to CEO community. What we discovered was that in order to make our efforts sticky, we have to first understand the formula for impact. So here it is. Impact equals focus plus energy. The important element in that equation is focus. Without it, we just keep dumping more and more energy into our business in an effort to see some impact. But when you have greater focus, you can apply smaller amounts of energy and see greater impact. So where do you find your focus? Well, simply identify one who and one problem. In other words, focus on identifying a single customer avatar and a single problem that your product or service solves for that avatar. Then. Focus your marketing efforts on that. And as I've mentioned before, stop talking about the features of your offer. Instead, talk about the problem you are solving. And that, my friends, is the secret to greater impact. If this workshop sounds like something you need, then I would highly encourage you to join us inside the LEO to CEO community at leo2ceo.com. Everything you need to grow your post law enforcement business. So tell me, you've mentioned a couple of times what you've gotten out of being a part of the Elio to CEO community. What made you 
decide to join that community in the first place? And what do you feel like is the biggest thing you've gotten out of it? Really what, what drew me to the community was, I think, taking my own advice regarding, you know, the whole sales strategy, the whole stuff that I'm working on as far as uh, reaching out, building rapport, networking. I think it was definitely part of that. Uh, obviously, I started diving into LinkedIn a lot and just kind of, you know, connecting with people on there. And what drew me to Leo to CEO was uh, Scott Walker with his, you know, posts that he put on there. It really, really, you know, just kind of uh, uh, struck a chord with me. I think it was Tim Caldwell, that that conversation in particular, because he had something similar where he got injured and, you know, he found himself not knowing what to do. And so I think that really, you know, resonated with me and just kind of, I went to one of the uh, meetings there. And then I think that's where we connected with each other on one of those uh, blue jean meetings or whatever it was. I can't remember. But yeah, that's where we connected. And I started looking into it. You know, I was grateful that you mentioned it and, I, and that I got invited. I was like, yeah, definitely. I want to be part of the Cool Kids Club, you know? <laughs> so uh, that's how, you know, it, it, that's how I got drawn into, you know, the community. And I really see eye to eye with the, the, the mission, so to speak, as far as just coppers helping coppers so to speak, you know, as far as either people that are transitioning or people that have already transitioned or someone, you know, like, let's say me personally, I've been in the, in the private sector for a long time and I've kind of learned certain things on my own, but to have, to know, like you said, that there's others out there that are, that I have either experienced what I went through or that are currently, you know, trying to make that jump, uh, that leap into the private sector or just out of, you know, transition out. Uh, that's why I'm definitely just, very, very uh, blessed and, and fortunate that I was able to get introduced into the uh, community. And yeah, and like I said, I think what it's brought to me is just, like I said, I think one of the main, main things uh, is uh, that, that, that maybe a camaraderie, if you will, you know, being able to connect with people that have, that are actually going through or are like, in a sense, helping others. I, I think I'm, I'm as cheesy as it may sound, I, I, I feel like I'm at a point where I want to assist uh, whoever I can. And that's why I sometimes say, hey, I give a lot of unsolicited advice. <laughs> but yeah, I, I try. I want to be able to help. And I think this is the, first, this is the perfect place hey. to do it. Yep. That's the awesome thing about the community is all, all advice is solicited. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm, not quote, I'm not quoting verbatim here. So there is no unsolicited advice. And um, right. I, I'm not going to quote this here because I, I can't remember it, even though I wrote it. But one of the things that I had put into the community rules was that if you're going to be a part of the community, you have to be willing to accept both solicited and unsolicited advice and not right, get right. Um, yeah. <laughs> because we, we have to be honest with each other. We have to offer each other feedback because the, the purpose is to help each other grow and build successful businesses. Right. And so sometimes you got to hear hard things and sometimes you got to accept unsolicited advice from people that says, you know what, that, uh, your poop stinks, you know? <laughs> right, right. So, anyway, no, there's, there's no advice that's unsolicited. And in fact, you, you have brought some very nuanced and particular advice to the community, really sort of around the area of sales in particular, because you have an interesting background in sales that kind of leads you to be able to provide some additional insight into that. Tell us more about that. Yeah. So I, I, like I mentioned before, I, I did have formal sales training and I think that was very early on, right before, about a year before I started with the, with the department. That was really just kind of like the, the basic intro. And it, I feel that it is a bit outdated, but I think definitely with technology nowadays and everything, it really just still, it's, it's, uh, 
it works across all boards. And I guess with, with my experience in particular, I have worked in the private sector, but I also have been trained in just, you know, account management and account sales as far as dealing with contracts, dealing with clients, specifically with a company that I was with. Uh, the vice president there was, I think, a ex Chicago PD copper. And, uh, you know, he kind of took me under his wing and he taught me a lot about the private sector industry. And in that, it, it, everything was just sales. You know, when, when I, when he taught me a lot of the stuff that he taught me, I was kind of like, oh, well, I've been through this training before and now it's, I'm, I'm using it more in practice, but in a different industry. Instead of selling cars, you know, I'm selling guard services or I'm selling, you know, consultations or I'm selling, you know, training. Um, so it's essentially the same thing. But yeah, like I said, I think a lot of it has been trial and error, but a lot of it comes down to just, you know, your people skills, you're building rapport, you're building rapport and then just the follow up. And it is just persistence um, over over time or whatever. But like I said, a lot of people, I think, get discouraged because uh, they don't make that sale within the first few weeks or few months. And like I said, a lot of it is uh, it's a long term game. You know, it's a long term game. Uh, and I just like I said, I, I do see it as it that. Is. Yeah, I, I was just going to say, I agree with you. I mean, there's no it, it's not a short term game. And I think people get impatient in the area of sales and they feel like, you know what, if somebody's curious about me, if somebody's interested in what it is I have to offer, whatever my whiz bang is, whether that's a product or a service, then I ought to be able to somehow convince them to buy it right now. And it, and it almost right. never works that way. In fact, it's something like 6% of people that come to your website are actually ready to buy from you. It's, it's certainly no more than that. And it really is a relationship. It's a, it's a process of nurturing. And we've, we've talked about this in some of the workshops we've done with Leo to CEO. And um, you've talked about it in some of the posts and responses you've made to people in the community. But uh, there's, there's really a nurturing process that has to occur when it comes to sales. And I like to, I like to distill it down to, you know, every relationship has these three phases and that's curiosity, enlightenment, and commitment. And you can't skip any of those phases. If you think about it like you're dating with the ultimate goal of getting mm -hmm. married, you can't skip any of those, right? You have to start with curiosity. There has to be a period of enlightenment where you learn about each other before you ultimately get to commitment. And the same is true for sales. If somebody comes into you at the curiosity stage, you really can't anticipate you're going to automatically take them directly to the commitment stage and skip enlightenment. And, and that's why there's there's so many timeless principles. You mentioned that you felt like maybe some of the things that you had learned were a bit out of date, but there's a lot of timeless principles in sales that can be applied across different sectors and and really are are able to adjust with the times in the more online environment we have. That nurturing now is just becomes things like podcasts and email marketing or text message marketing or whatever. I mean, there's there's opportunities there. There, there's tons of opportunities to fill that enlightenment void uh, in order to speed that process up. But ultimately, you can't skip you can't skip any of those phases. Definitely, one hundred percent. I think one of the things that I remember from a sales manager was uh, him saying, "Don't try to sell them anything. You're not going to be able to convince them. Don't sell it." It's like when they come to the lot, they've already decided whether they're going to buy or not. But now the decision is if they're going to buy from you or if they're going to buy from the guy down the street. So a lot of it comes down to you know how good is your rapport. One of the things that we used to pick up on was uh, they wanted us to be really good listeners as far as people will tell you what they want and you have to be able to pick up on their buttons. Mm -hmm. They used to call them buttons as far as like, what, what, what is it that 
what would be the sales pitch for them? And that's usually what I use as like, what, what pitch do you give them or what pitch do you want to show them where it'll convince them like, Hey, this is what they want. One analogy or metaphor, however you want to look at it, uh, that I like using is, uh, I'm a farmer, you know, I'm out here just planting seeds. I'm over here just letting people know what I do and just seeing if it grows. You know, obviously if we get a little sprout somewhere, we're going to go over there and start watering. Like you said, we're going to tend to it. We're going to, you know, nurture it and see if that, if you know, that crop is going to feed us. And so a lot of the times, you know, I tell, I jokingly tell people like, yeah, I'm, I'm just a farmer. I'm over here, you know, just throwing seeds around. Uh, and you want to look at it as far as like the podcast. If you look at this podcast, it's reminding people, Hey, this is what I do. This is what we do. And it's planting a seed. Someone somewhere is going to need a service or it's going to, you know, they're going to reach out or they're going to get curious, like you said, tying everything into what we just talked about. They're going to get curious. They're going to want to learn more and they're going to get enlightened. Once they're ready for that, you know, whatever problem they have and you're able to solve that problem, they're going to reach out to and they're going to make a commitment. So it's almost like we're, we're, we're doing it right now, you know, and that's why I always mention it. I'm a farmer. I'm over here just planting seeds, you know, left and right and see, see what sticks, so to speak. But, uh, yeah. I like that analogy, the farmer. Yeah, I, I do too, actually, because what I always say to my coaching clients is sell results, not services mm-hmm. or sell results, not products, right? right? Because, and that's exactly what you're doing with that analogy. You're not selling the seed you're, or the plant. You're, you're not saying this is, this is what I'm selling you. What you're selling is what are you going to get from it once that plant grows? What exactly. are you going to be able to harvest? Right. off of that plan. I love, I love that. That's, that's awesome. Well, let's, let's kind of transition onto another thing here. Um, I want to know Rudy, because part of what we, we talk a lot about in Elliott CEO is goal planning and, and that sort of thing. So what sort of personal or professional goals do you have for the near or immediate future? What's, what's on the horizon? Yeah, I think uh, that's a tough question, Adam. <laughs> I think, uh, like we mentioned earlier, there, there's a lot of things that, you know, obviously um, I have in the works and some stuff's in the back burner as we shelve certain things. In particular right now, obviously, I think one of the goals in general is just to kind of have a, a sustaining business where it's kind of on autopilot. I think that's all of us, uh, you know, that are copperpreneurs or inspiring yeah. copperpreneurs. But I think me in particular, one of the things that I brought to the forefront as far as a project that I'm working on right now is um, a book that I mentioned, an ebook. Uh, initially, it started off as just like, I'm going to type this up for informational, you know, for people. Uh, like I had mentioned, um, I met a lot of people over the course of my travels, we'll say, uh, that are, you know, law enforcement, military people, and some of them are trying to start their own businesses or going into certain, you know, the private sector. And I saw there was, I guess, somewhat of a need. And so I just started typing up, I guess, initially it was a leaflet. And then I was like, ah, it's a little booklet. And now I'm kind of, you know, adding more and more. And I I guess it'll be an ebook. I don't want to get people too excited about, but yeah, I think the title of it is a intro to sales and farming. And so essentially what I want to teach there is kind of, uh, give people, okay. yeah, give people a bit of a introduction into sales. Because like I said, uh, would I consider myself an expert? I would say no, but I do have formal training. I do have, you know, extensive years, about a decade of actual trial and error of, you know, what worked, what didn't work, uh, in my industry. And then, you know, uh, other people that I've worked with, it's worked for them. And so I think it's something that I'm breaking it down in a sense where it's kind of just tools for your toolbox. And I think a lot of cops, you know, they resonate with that because that's what they've been told through. They, that's what they've been told through training, you know, their entire careers is this is a tool for your toolbox. And so that's what I want to build. And that's what I'm building, I should say. And I'm writing this, uh, 
ebook, which is specifically that how to teach someone that's new to either the private sector or someone that's transitioning out of law enforcement that, you know, their entire career, they've just, you know, had the blinders on, so to speak. And they're just, you know, a hundred per hundred miles an hour. Like you said, no one thinks after what they're going to do. This is something to kind of throw at them where it's a mini crash course, if you will, in the form of an ebook, specifically in sales, as far as how to prospect, what are leads, you know, how to generate sales, uh, how to, you know, account manage, building rapport, and just, you know, uh, at least to me, I see it as uh, this is stuff that it's almost as, oh, everyone should know it, but it's just like one of those things where sometimes it, you don't know what you don't know, you know? And uh, it's uh, it's one of those things where I do feel there's, yeah. a, there's a need for it. And like I said, I'm at my, a point in my life and my career right now where I, for some reason, I just, I just want to try to assist whoever I can, especially in these times with everything going on. But yeah, like I said, it's something that I've been working on it for I want to say maybe started last year sometime. And initially, like I said, I was just typing stuff up as informational. But as I've gone along, I've noticed like, hey, you know what? I've been putting more and more into it. So hoping to be done with it soon, within the next few months, hopefully, or maybe shorter, depending on how, how much time I I, uh, I put on it. And you know, sometimes I do get writer's block, so I just like to let it flow. But yeah, that's something that one of the main projects that I'm working on right now um, like I said, there's a, there's a lot of other ones, but you know, we'll leave that for another time. <laughs> I think, uh, one of the issues I run into is I got too much on my plate, you know, so I gotta, I gotta really discipline myself and prioritize. So this is something that I feel, especially being part of the Leo to CEO community. I definitely, I think that's what kind of set the fire for me to be like, Hey, I gotta get this done for these guys, you know, because I do feel that there, there's a need for it. And I, and I'm hoping that, uh, it'll, it'll really help people in guiding them and being successful. Uh, entrepreneurs and building businesses and whatnot. And, and I'm hoping that, you know, the stuff that I went through and the things that I learned through trial and error over the years, I, it's in a sense, it's not in vain. It's, it's so that I could pass on that knowledge uh, to, to people that are transitioning, you know, and yeah. I think really that's, that's what I'm, I'm, I'm really big on that right now, as far as just uh, helping and doing what I can doing my part, no matter how small or, or how big it may be. But yeah, that's why I'm definitely glad that we, you know, cross paths. I think it's for a reason. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to be part of the mission, so to speak, as far as with Leo to CEO. But this book is definitely a reason why I really just kind of put it in hyperdrive and said, Hey, I really got to get this thing, you know, out there for the people. But yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that book. And you know, you're right. Writer's block is legit. It's real. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I actually told you before I'm working on a book, uh, right now as well. And that writer's block, man, it kills you. And finally, what made me feel better about it was that I recognized that all of the other content I'm putting out both on this podcast and, you know, as part of Eliota CEO and the blog that I'm doing there and my, my email newsletter, I'm like, wait a second, I'm already writing the book, right? Yep. These are all pieces that are going to come together into the book later anyway. And th that helped me feel a little bit better about it, but you're right. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's difficult to overcome that hurdle uh, of writer's block. So either way, I guess I, I wish you all of my best and give you all my encouragement to finish that out and hit the finish line because I'm looking forward to seeing that. And I know there's, there's others that are as well. So on that note, I guess, Rudy, do you have a final thought you want to share with us? Uh, I think for anyone that's thinking of transitioning or, or in a, in a position where, whether they've separated from their agency or whatever it is, you're not alone. You know, uh, initially when it happened to me, I really thought that I was the only one and, and it was harder then because I, I didn't have any connections, but I think nowadays, uh, programs like these, as far as, like I said, groups like Leo to CEO, um, and then just, uh, I know there's others out there. I think you're, you're not alone, you know, don't go at this alone, so to speak, you know, it's, uh, we definitely got your back. And I think it's something where reach out. 
um, I think reach out and then just, yeah, like I said, I think I can't say, say that enough because uh, there, there's a lot going on right now and it's okay to feel what you're feeling. And I, like I said, uh, you're not alone. Definitely know that you got a lot of support on this side, so to speak, um, as, as far as outside of service and just uh, to make sure that they know that. But yeah, aside from that, I think that's my final thought, Adam. I think that's an excellent final thought and I couldn't have said it better myself. So why don't you go ahead and send everybody off with, uh, you know, plug your stuff, let everybody know where they can find you. How do they get a hold of you? Yeah, I think right now the, the biggest place where I'm at is just a LinkedIn. You know, you could, you could, uh, search me on there. Uh, it's a uh, Rudy Hernandez Trinity. If you type that in, it'll, it'll usually pop up right away. Um, I try to stay uh, active on there. I know there, there hasn't been a lot of stuff that I put up there. I do have a YouTube channel that I have connected on there, but everything's on my LinkedIn page where you guys, you guys are interested primarily just for, uh, revolving around, you know, the private security industry and whatnot. But yeah, just for people that want to transition into that, they could always reach out to me via LinkedIn is probably the best way. So yeah, it's just Rudy Hernandez and then just Trinity. And then aside from that, the Elio to CEO community, I think that's where they could reach me and find us on. But like I said, yeah. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Well, as always, everybody will, of course, put uh, links to everything we discussed on today's show in the show notes of the episode, which you can find at psi.chat and then forward slash the episode number. So go ahead and check that out there. We'll put links to everything. And yeah, Rudy, awesome conversation. Good to have you on. Really appreciate you and everything that you bring to the community. And uh, it's just neat because the the whole concept I had behind that community was um, not to revolve around me or, or any one individual, but was truly to be a collaborative environment where everybody got to bring their strengths uh, to the table in order to help each other out with whatever their weaknesses may be. And so um, you are certainly a good example of that. And it's been great to have you along. So thanks for that. And thanks again for being on the show. Thank you, Adam. I really appreciate you. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around till the end of the show. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving a review at psi.chat forward slash review. I would love to hear your feedback and it will also help other public safety innovators like yourself find the show. Be sure to check out the show notes for this episode. Just go to psi.chat, click on episodes and search this episode number and you'll find all the links, descriptions and resources we talked about. And if you haven't already, make sure you subscribe and you'll be notified when the next episode is live. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch you guys on the next episode. Oh, 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 oh,